Countrywide on ABC Radio. Support businesses are going to go to the wall just like dairy farmers will. We've seen the whole agricultural community come out. Once people leave communities, they don't. They generally don't return. Countrywide. Don't worry about me. Go and speak to your farmers. We're already losing businesses. Get out there and speak to your farmers and your gumbers. Countrywide. The politics of food and farming on ABC Radio. Hi. Welcome to Countrywide. I'm Megan Hughes. Today, issues have arisen with a World Trade Organization panel to act as an umpire between China and Australia over trade tariff disputes. We are actually noticing coming out of the WTO, uh, I guess, some challenges around the number of experts in, in trade space that, that can sit on that panel. So, you know, finding three that we agree to, that China agree, agree to, you know, it may have a challenge. Plus, have you noticed how cheap avocados have been? Well, they might get even cheaper. This year is an absolute bumper crop and, and fruit size is good, fruit quality is excellent. So I think you know, in terms of production, I think the, uh, the region's in for, uh, for, for a cracking harvest. And an application for a controversial poison described as napalm for mice to battle the mouse plague has been knocked back. But farmers aren't that disappointed. New South Wales Farmers Association always had a question mark over the usefulness or the merit or the science behind just where we would go with this second generation need to coagulate. All that and more in the next half an hour. From the top end to Tassie, countrywide on ABC Radio. But first, it's been a big week for the Nationals Party. First, a leadership spill to return Barnaby Joyce to the top job, overturning Michael McCormack. Then, a bold move to try and rewrite the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, which was knocked back. The plan was legislated almost 10 years ago with bipartisan support across the Commonwealth and the Basin States of New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, the ACT and Queensland. The aim of it is to return the basin to a more sustainable level while still supporting farming communities. Victorian Senator Bridget McKenzie led the charge to change this plan. They called for an end to Commonwealth water buybacks, less water returned to the environment from irrigators and an extension to the deadline for water-saving projects. It was defeated in the Senate with the Greens, Labor and Liberals voting against them. Then the Nationals rebooted their plea in the House of Representatives on Thursday, where the amendments were shut down again. But what do farmers think of this move? South Australian Irrigators Chairperson Karen Martin explains to Jessica Schremer they just want to see the plan delivered. I think everybody's sick of the game playing where all of this was decided in 2012 and the 450 was caught up in what they called the adjustment mechanism and that included upwater like Menindee Lakes projects and other infrastructure works as well as the 450 which was meant to be from efficiencies and a whole heap of socio-economic incentives and offsets to allow people to move into other industries. So I think by decoupling the 450 from all the rest of what was the toolkit, as they termed it, which was altogether meant to get you a 3,200 equivalent outcome, environmental outcome. And that's how the basin plan is measured on outcomes. So I suppose when we're throwing big bombs into what was an already agreed pathway forward, I think they need then to go back and look at outcomes and say, well, okay, you've got 2,100 of that water currently recovered. What outcomes have you achieved in the nine years since the basin plan was formulated? And maybe what they need to do is put their resourcing into a whole heap more credible monitoring 
around those outcomes. So I think it's, it's too simple just to say, get rid of the 450, no more buyback. We've been arguing all these points for a long time. I think you need to, to talk to the people who own the water and ask them whether they are up for buyback. And I think having had nine years of getting nowhere, I think people are ready to put an end to all this process. Another proposed change by national senators is that the deadline for water saving projects should be extended to 2024 and beyond and that new projects should be considered. What are your thoughts on that? Well, reluctantly, yes, it has to be extended because it was completely inept and nothing occurred. They recovered three gigalitres of the water through the efficiency project and the works and measures, I do believe, just over 50% are done. So there's still 50% still to go and they've got, if you go by the 2024 deadline, they've got three years to do it. So that's highly, highly unlikely. And I don't think that's because these projects were too hard. I think it was because they just didn't try. And now we're getting close to the finish line and everyone's up in arms. Oh, we've got to start trying. We haven't got enough time. So I think that's the reality of the situation. They don't have enough time. Chairperson of South Australian Irrigators, Karen Martin. Meanwhile, Executive Officer of Gwida Valley Irrigators Association in northwest New South Wales, Zara Lowen, says all anyone in basin communities wants is certainty. Look, I think... Most communities right across the basin want certainty. Uh, and so what we thought is we had a plan that had a 2750 uh, target and we're working towards that. You know, in the Guaida, we're, we're well and truly over that in terms of basin plan recovery. We've got some other issues, but I, I think we just want to get on with the job and this constant bringing back up some of these old um, issues is uh, undermining confidence in communities. And I think we just need to get on with it. But the issue that we do have, I suppose, is that there are elements in policy that it seemed that the Nationals were wanting to get um, more uh, recognition through legislation, and that's the cap on buybacks, and that's really important. You know, our community saw the impact of that quite significantly. So I, I see what they're doing. It's, it's more about timing and, and making sure we don't undermine confidence in our communities anymore. On the note of the water buybacks, some have said that when it comes to the water buybacks, it isn't about irrigators versus environment. It's about making sure there's plenty of water in the river system. Uh, Isn't that fair enough? Yeah, I think we've moved a long way ahead of where we were back when the Basin Plan was needed and the Water Act was talked about initially. Um, I think... I'm sick of talking about numbers, to be honest, uh, and this is about 450 up and, and, and even, you know, the 2750 in itself. Let's talk about the outcomes we've seen and we can achieve, and I think that's where I'd like the conversation to continue to go to. We've seen um, the economic impact of the buybacks, uh, and now we're seeing some environmental benefits. And we need to take that into the whole picture and stop focusing on just a number, but rather than the outcomes we're seeing. What about concerns from some that by not having these water buybacks, that could see more extractions from irrigators or on top of uh, the concerns we do here around floodplain harvesting? I think people are trying to conflate the issue to make it uh, scarier than what it is. The reality is irrigators and water users, just like the Commonwealth Environmental Water Holder and New South Wales government, own licences and they can only take what is allocated to those licences. So I don't see uh, 
you know, by limiting the number of licences that are available to production, you therefore reduce that volume of water. With climate change potentially or changes in, in inflow sequences, you get less water allocated to those accounts, which we're seeing in the Guider next year, for example, for supplementary, which means whilst we've got a licence, we can only access half of that if the river flows. And, and that's a response to not licensing a whole portion of water, which is floodplain harvesting. So it is very different arguments, but I think people are trying to say that irrigators will extract more. We need everything in the licensing system, so everything's got a maximum amount that can be taken. And then we'll all have confidence that that's the only uh, amount of water that is available. That's Guida Valley Irrigators Association Executive Officer Zara Lowen speaking to Lara Webster. The Australian grains industry has backed the Prime Minister's calls for improvements to the World Trade Organisation ahead of a dispute on China's barley tariffs. Beijing imposed tariffs on Australian-grown barley in May last year, claiming farmers had dumped the grain in China for cheaper than it cost to produce. But Australia claims these tariffs breached international trading rules. Now there's an issue with the panel which acts as an umpire that has the final say on international trade disputes. The US Trump administration removed support and funding for it and now there's no one to enforce this dispute settlement. Grain Growers Chair Brett Hosking explains to John Daly why they need to have confidence in the global trade referee. There's no doubt there's work that needs to be done to support the, the WTO to make sure it is that, that global, you know, strong global kind of umpire or trade regulator that we need it to be. Um, the appellate body, uh, it, it suffered a bit of a hit under, um, you know, a previous US government. You know, as they, they withdrew resources and, and support for that. Hopefully with a, a different administration in America, we might be able to see a little bit of that support come back and a little bit of that strength and integrity come back. Um, at the moment, we're in the early stages with the Bali dispute of forming just a, a panel, a three-person panel, to, to hear our dispute. Um, you know, and that seems to be progressing. But we are actually noticing coming out of the WTO, uh, I guess, some challenges around the number of experts in, in trade space that that can sit on that panel so you know finding three that we agree to that China agree agree to it may have a challenge but hopefully it's not insurmountable. And I guess as you say uh, WTO is the umpire isn't it and uh, if you can't have faith in the umpire it kind of makes the game hard to play. Yeah, well, I think any sport that, that you might choose to play, whether it be footy or, or any, pretty much any support sport, you don't have an umpire on the ground, then it pretty soon denigrates into um, a bit of jungle rules. So we certainly don't want that in our sport. You know, it's not fun to watch, it's not fun to play. We don't want it in our global trade either. It's not fun to participate in. And, and Australia being such a large exporter and such a, uh, I guess, an important trade is so important to our, our agricultural industries in particular, we do need to know, know that and have confidence in a system, a global trading system that, that supports good rules-based trade. Now, in terms of the tariff itself, are there any options, you know, is the industry looking at, at opportunities to try and get that overturned? If you had the opportunity to go back to China, would you with the sovereign risk? Uh, yeah, look, absolutely. They're, they're still a valuable trading partner for uh, you know a lot of agricultural commodities. We've got really strong wheat exports at the moment going into China, and and we know from the market feedback we've had from China that they really value Australian grain. So 
we know from an industry side or from a market side that, that China value our relationship. It, that there are still those um, government to government, uh, geopolitical, if we, if we will, risks that, that come with trading with China. But um, at the moment, we're not hearing any indications and, and we believe that China would give us an indication if they were going to do any further action. It's largely seen that, that the barley industry is a casualty of, of a souring political relationship. You mentioned that you put a, a vast amount of evidence to Chinese authorities, um, you know, when this when this tariff was first introduced, do you think that you could have ever made a strong enough case to have stopped this from happening? Oh, look, it, it's really difficult to answer that. Um, you know, we we put evidence before China that you know kind of laid out exactly what had gone gone on here in Australia, how we do business, what our cost of production is, all of, all of that information they requested. Um, you know. It, Perhaps part of this World Trade Organisation process will be understanding how how the Chinese government interpret that data and whether they've got a different way of looking at it from what we understand. Um, but from, certainly from what we understand is true. We, we don't believe there has been any, certainly no evidence of of, anti, of sorry dumping of Australian grain, but also n- certainly no or no or very little evidence of, of any subsidies being paid to Australian farmers. So you know we're, we're a little bit perplexed about how they've come to to the conclusion they have. But um, that opportunity to understand that better is really important. That's Grain Growers Chair Brett Hosking speaking to John Daly. Meanwhile, the federal government has announced this week it's going to refer China to the independent trade umpire over the huge tariffs it placed on Australian wine. China accused Australia of anti-competitive behaviour, including receiving subsidies and dumping produce below the cost of production. Australia denies any wrongdoing. From the paddock to the plate... Countrywide on ABC Radio. If you've been wondering why mandarins and oranges have been cheaper on supermarket shelves, there's a bit of a domestic glut. Most citrus regions are reporting an on-season with high-quality fruit in bigger-than-normal volumes. Meanwhile, exporters have been faced with a shortage of shipping containers, hold-ups at ports and just a general uncertainty of exports into China. Nippies Group is a South Australian citrus growing and juice production company. Managing Director Jeff Nispel says they're only exporting a minimal amount of fruit to China this year. He tells Jessica Schremer that despite the hurdles, the naval orange season is tracking well. Yeah, the harvest is going about on track. Fruit size is maybe marginally smaller than last year, picking in the middle size ranges rather than the bigger sizes. But we're getting a good balance of counts so that we can keep all of our traditional markets going, you know, bigger fruit to Vietnam and smaller fruit to places like India and, of course, Japan and China and various other markets taking those middle-range sizes. What about getting fruit into that market? We have heard that there are some issues getting some of the fruit into China. Well, at this stage, we've got fruit destined for China, but it's still in transit. We've been in close contact with our Chinese partners. And whilst I haven't heard of any issues at all relating to citrus, it's a little bit untested. About all we can do is predict based on what happened to the table grape industry, that there's going to be some 
extra attention uh, when uh, Australian naval oranges arrive in Chinese ports. So probably there'd be varying strategies amongst packers. Some might be avoiding China altogether this year. Others, like us, is to ship only minimal quantities. And I guess in about two weeks, we'll have some first arrivals in China and we will see what sort of a what sort of treatment we get when that occurs. So it's still sort of an unknown territory Exactly, until then. yeah. Just got to make sure that labelling of pallets and all of our documentation, all of the protocol requirements, that we don't get lazy on any of that because it seems as though inspection regimes in China are on high alert to find any reason to delay product. And of course, delays turn out to be expensive because of if you're holding containers or in the port waiting for your turn in the uh, for an inspection, you run the well, you've got the storage cost, the holding cost, and if that goes 10, 12, or 14 days, it doesn't take too long, and the storage cost becomes a bigger cost than the actual value of the fruit. So yes, it's a little bit of bit unknown territory at this stage. What about getting hold of enough shipping containers? Yes, shipping's there. There's another challenge there. Vessels seem to be out of sync with their normal, you know, round the world loops. And I've heard of occasions where vessels that are doing the loop around Australia will, for example, decide at short notice they're not calling into Japan or they're not calling into Hong Kong because they're trying to make up time to get back to the ports where there are empty containers to get themselves back into some sort of a normal rhythm. But it seems like we could run a good part of this whole naval season dealing with those problems. And what does demand for citrus this year from export <coughs> markets look like? Demand's quite good. We're not faced with the problem of, you know, where can we shift fruit? It's, the export market is actually quite a good safety valve for Australia. It seems we produce a lot more naval orange than Australian consumers can handle. So it's always a very welcome part of the naval season when we're in a position to start our export season. It takes a lot of pressure off local markets to consume you know, the crop that's being harvested. The biggest barrier is people wanting to buy our fruit expect packing sheds or growers or both to absorb the fact that our dollar's stronger, which you know we've managed to resist at this stage, but it's always there. It'll probably affect total volumes because export markets don't have to buy all their oranges from Australia. They can buy naval oranges from countries like South Africa or Chile. So there's always issues like that to deal with. That's Nippy's group Jeff Nispel talking to Jessica Schremer. Countrywide, the voice of regional Australia on ABC Radio. You're listening to Countrywide. I'm Megan Hughes. Coming up, you'll hear why farmers aren't disappointed another chemical to battle the mouse plague has been knocked back. But before that, let's dive into another bumper crop. It's been a great season across Australia's key avocado growing regions, but that has producers worried prices could drop to record low levels. In Queensland, the price of Haas avocados has already plummeted to just $12 per tray farm price, Prices in supermarkets are about a dollar an avocado. 
And there are now fears prices could drop further, with projections that Western Australia's crop will increase by more than 230%, creating an even bigger oversupply. Avocados Australia CEO John Tyus tells Jessica Hayes the massive national crop would bring quality and cheap produce for consumers, but tough times for growers. We've, we've known this for a number of years. There's still plantings going in the ground, so there's probably about half of all the orchards around the country are, are yet to come into full production. So it's not an issue just this year. It's going to be an ongoing issue with increasing supply right right around the country. So, you know, we're doing everything we can to, to build demand as as fast as we can uh, domestically, but also trying to open up new export markets. This region in WA got access to Japan for the first time a couple of years ago, and and, uh, we're expecting there'll be some significant volumes of of fruit going out to Japan from from this area, but also Singapore and and Hong Kong and Malaysia, Indonesia and other other markets. So it's it's going to be a pretty challenging year and I think what's what's happening in Queensland is going to flow flow through the, the other regions as we progress the harvest that's going to start in this region uh, in a few months time and the volumes are going to just continue right right across the year. I mean just how strong is the season shaping up in Western Australia because last season was a bit of a stinker in terms of volume. Yeah, that's right. And and unfortunately, that happens sometimes. So this year is an absolute bumper crop. And, and, and one of the reasons we're going around having a, a look at orchards is just to, to validate that so that we can see what the crop looks like. Fruit size is good. Fruit quality is excellent. So I think, you know, in terms of production, I think the uh, the region's in for uh, for, for a cracking harvest. The, the challenge is, is about, you know, where it's all where it's all going to go and during the the months when this region in WA supplies the market we are traditionally also supplemented by uh, fruit out of New Zealand but this year really I don't think with the volumes we've got we've we really don't need any New Zealand fruit in our market this year and so we're hoping we're hoping that chains will adjust their um, sourcing programs to make sure that they stay with Australian fruit as much as they can. Here in Western Australia, as you mentioned, uh, growers have access to the Japanese market. What other markets are you looking at at the moment? And are you anticipating the Japanese market in particular for Western Australia is likely to become more lucrative? Yeah, I think the Japanese market is its actually the, by far the largest market for avocados in Asia. So it's it's a good one to have. Tends to be supplied very heavily by lower priced Mexican avocados. So it can be um, you know it can be challenging to to compete on price, but hopefully the quality of the Australian avocados will will enable a, a more premium market to be developed there. This is this is the first year that we'll really be sending significant volumes into Japan. So it's a it's a great opportunity to try and grow that market this year. The other the other one that we don't have access to but is currently under negotiation between the governments is uh, access to India. Uh, we think that India could be quite a good market once once we gain access. Maybe China one day. We seem to be a long way off access to China, but that can be a good good market as well. So they're probably the three uh, in the longer term that uh, markets can take reasonable volumes of, of Aussie avos. When you say that Jap- Japan's taking a, a, a sizable volume this year, how, how much are we looking at compared to uh, you know previous years? Uh, look, it's really hard to know because we got access in 2018 and 
it was very it's at the end of the season so you know very small amount was sent and then the following year i think about 40 ton was sent and then last year nothing was sent because there were actually no flights because of covid there were no flights to tokyo so it's they've really we've really done very little to date so it's going to be a matter of how well the exporters can can uh, find market segments within within japan that'll take the australian product so it's it's a bit hard to tell at this stage, but I think you know it'll depend on how well the Australian product is received in Japan, whether the size profiles and the and the eating quality are, are what Japanese consumers want. And I think with the you know the lower priced supply will make us more competitive on on price, which should um, provide a good opportunity to carve out some uh, some some nice nice market segments in Japan. So I can't I really can't give you a figure on on it. It'll just depend how um, how things go. And how they can be be built on over over the season. Avocados Australia CEO John Tyus talking to Jessica Hayes. An application to use a controversial poison described as napalm for mice to fight New South Wales' relentless mouse plague has been knocked back. In May, the state government made an urgent application for bromodialone to be made available. But this week, the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicine Authority issued its intention to refuse on the grounds of safety and environmental concerns. Farmers and residents in rural New South Wales have been battling this plague for 10 months now. The mice have devoured new crops, destroyed machinery and have been causing serious health problems. But while State Agricultural Minister Adam Marshall said he's disappointed, the New South Wales Farmers Association Vice President Xavier Martin says they've always had concerns around the use of the controversial poison. He tells Hugh Hogan they're actually very happy with the government's other measures to control the plague. Farmers appreciate good science and we were anticipating the Minister Marshall's good intentions uh, may have resulted in a permit that allowed us to have a tool, an additional tool, albeit potentially maybe a small tool, to help fight this natural disaster, this mice plague. As it's turned out, the decision has been not to approve bromodialone. But that said, uh, we welcome Minister Marshall's commitment to use that $50 million resources to uh, support the zinc phosphide program. And, uh, you know, what was free bromodialone will now translate into uh, obviously freezing phosphide. I feel the government's handled this situation. There's been a lot of promises about napalming and approval in a couple of days. We're now sort of weeks down the track and we've got to end it up with a no. How do you feel the government's handled the situation? Oh, look, we've been talking to the government for many months, so on one hand, they've been pretty slow to recognise it. And But look, we welcome Minister Marshall's best intents in relation to this matter. At least they've acknowledged that it is a plague, that it is a natural disaster, that they do need to respond, that it is a shared responsibility. Uh, excellent program they came up with for householders and commercial premises in terms of their uh, rebates, 100% rebates, uh, up to a limit at Service New South Wales. You know, So there's a lot of good things that have been done. Uh, unfortunately, there's been a little delay around some other aspects. Do you think uh, resources could have been better allocated than trying to get this bromodialone approved? Oh, look, New South Wales Farmers Association always had a uh, question mark over the usefulness or the merit or the science behind just where we would go with this second generation anticoagulate. Uh, you know, I think our members are very pleased with how the Service New South Wales experience occurred. They've just got a question, some of them have certainly got a questioning eye as to how the RAA is going to roll out, the Rural Assistance Authority is going to roll out 
the arrangements for zinc phosphide. I think there's a few members who've got some reservations about that. You mentioned before that 70 or 80,000 ton, uh, tonnes a day of zinc phosphide was going out, but still people aren't getting as much as they need? So there's 70 or 80,000 kilos a day of bait going out, and the that seems to be pretty close to the demand. There's a few delays in certain parts of the state, you know, just-in-time type delivery, and in some cases just a few days or a week late. So there is crop damage. I mean, the rodents are actually digging the seed up out of the ground. They are nipping the cotyledons off as they emerge through the soil, the new seedling. So, you know, it is important to get that bait on immediately post-sowing, is, is what the label on the bait describes. Um, so, look, we're right on the limit uh, of demand. The problem is this interstate competition for a limited supply and, you know, the logistics I mentioned. So there are, there are issues there. Farmers at least now know that there's a government commitment to support them up to 50%, uh, capped at $10,000 at this point. Uh, look, New South Wales farmers are seeing that as a down payment. You know, if this plague explodes in the spring, well, we're going to be back talking to government very quickly. That's Xavier Martin, Vice President of New South Wales Farmers Association, talking to Hugh Hogan. And that's it for Countrywide. You can hear all of these stories and more at abc.net.au slash rural. You can also listen back to the Countrywide podcast on the ABC Listen app. I'm Megan Hughes. Thanks for your company.